Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we very slowly work our way through the book of 1 Peter. I find that every time I teach through a book of the Bible, it takes me longer and longer. Because I think every time you study through a book, you get more and more out of it. And I think that's the way God intended it. It's not as though, you know, we're coming up with new revelations from God. It's just that we're gaining a deeper and deeper understanding. Because when you look at how amazing, awesome, marvelous, wonderful, like the song we just sang, that our God is, then should we be surprised that His Word is a multifaceted, many-layered work of literature? Because it wasn't written by man, it was written by God. And so, as we dig deeper and deeper, we learn more and more, we grow, grow more and more, and we get closer to God. So, it does seem to take longer and longer to get through these books. That's okay. We got all the time in the world until Jesus comes back. And then we will know even as we are known. So verses 4 and 5 we're going to cover today. Just two verses. Every week it seems like I never get all the way through my notes. So I've cut back a little bit today, which probably means we'll get done really early. You know how that works? We're already running ahead of schedule. It's only 25 until uh, 11. So, but that's okay. That means we have more time to eat and hang out and fellowship, right? So, let everybody over there know, Lorraine and the crew, they can hear me over there, so I'm warning you guys, we might get done early today. Be ready. You, you don't believe me, do you? I'm not giving any opening monologues. I'm not giving any updates, so we could very easily get done early, but you never know what could happen in the middle. Right? But you're looking at the new, improved, warm, fuzzy teddy bear. Here he is. Okay, verses 4 and 5, 1 Peter 2. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word. We thank you for uh, every precious word in your holy scriptures. We know that every word, in fact, Jesus said not one jot or tittle not one dotted I or crossed T would pass away. Your word is eternal because you are eternal. You spoke this world and this universe into existence and now you speak to us with that same voice. Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we looked at the idea of having the same craving and desire for the Word of God as a newborn baby has for his or her mother's milk. In other scriptures, 
the idea of a babe or an infant spiritually means that you have not yet matured and are not ready for the meat of the word. You need the milk. But here it's simply a general reference to the fact that Peter is encouraging us to crave, to desire, to seek after the word of God, to hunger for it. And then he takes us now to the next level, talking about us as living stones, being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. You don't generally think of a newborn babe as a priest. So he's moving right on into this area of growth and spiritual maturity that we started with last week. Now as we go through this chapter, chapter 2 of 1 Peter, we won't get that far today, but we'll see in the weeks ahead. First of all, here today, uh, Jesus is referred to by Peter as the living stone. In verse 6, we will meet him as the cornerstone. In verse 7, he is the rejected stone. Verse 8, the stumbling stone. So we'll get to explore those different aspects of Jesus being the living stone, the cornerstone, the rejected stone, and the stumbling stone. But today, the living stone. And when Peter says, coming to him, As to a living stone. This is not referring to the initial response of a sinner who comes to Christ for salvation. The participle's tense and voice here indicates that this word coming is referring to a personal, habitual approach. Personally coming to the Lord daily. Just like a child comes to his or her mother, father, looking to them for wisdom, guidance, instruction, provision, so forth. A personal, habitual, coming to him. In other words, daily, coming to him as to a living stone. A dead stone doesn't do much for you, does it? But a living stone... A living foundation for our lives. Not only is he the solid rock, the rock upon which we stand. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And he's alive. That's what makes him able to be our foundation for our lives. A living stone. Rejected indeed. We all know. As a nation... Israel, God's chosen people, there were the, the early Christians were all Jewish, but as a nation, as a whole, starting with the leadership, the uh, Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they rejected him as their Messiah, and that rejection was finalized and epitomized by nailing him to the cross. Rejected indeed, but, Chosen by God and rejected indeed by men. Now, a lot of people really struggle with rejection, right? I always think of the old Back to the Future movie where um, both Marty McFly and his dad were known to say at various times, I just don't think I could handle that kind of rejection. 
He's going to audition for the school dance with his band. His girlfriend is encouraging him to audition. And he goes, no, I just don't think I can handle that kind of rejection. But they went ahead and auditioned, and they were rejected. (laughs) Nobody likes rejection. It leads to a feeling of dejection, depression, and so forth. But the thing of it is, Peter wants us to understand. Yes, we're to come to him as to a living stone. He is the foundation of our lives. But yeah, he was rejected by the world. And guess what? If you come to him, then you stand a good chance of also being rejected by this world. But if we have to choose between being rejected by God or being rejected by men, what would be the wise choice? To be rejected by men, right? Because God is the author of life. He's the creator of all things. He holds the life of every human being in the palm of His hand. And it's our acceptance or rejection by Him that determines our eternal destination. And again, the good news, our acceptance by God is not based upon our performance. Our acceptance by other people is, isn't it? And that's, that's a rough place to be in where you're trying to perform well enough to have people like you and not reject you. But you see, God's love, agape love, unconditional love, loves in spite of who or what you are. And as believers, God gives us the ability through the power of His Holy Spirit to love one another that same way. But that does not come natural for human beings. And you've probably already learned that. Many times, our acceptance by others is based upon our performance or good works, if you will. Rejected indeed, but chosen by God. Boy, that's the most important thing you could ever say about yourself, is that, well, yeah, i got people that don't like me. Chris just mentioned how nothing embarrasses Pastor Gary. That's not entirely true, but to a large degree it is. But what does embarrass me is letting God down, disappointing God, coming short of His glory, which I do every day. Chosen by God. Jesus was chosen by His Father to be the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And again, it's also a reminder to all believers that though men reject us, we can rejoice that God has chosen us. I love what Paul wrote in Romans 8.31. I know you recognize this verse. What then shall we say to these things if God be for us Who can be against us? And you know what? Conversely, you could be the most accepted, beloved person in the world. But if you've been rejected by God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference. You know, there's a lot of worldwide adoration poured out on people that are gone now, like a Michael Jackson or an Elvis Presley or different ones. Only God knows where they are. 
but their lives were certainly not indicative of someone who was following God. These people and many others like them, famous people, celebrities, uh, from every walk of life, still worshipped, if you will. But you know what? If they're not in heaven with their Creator, then that's all for nothing. If God be for us, who can be against us? Because no one can prevent you from entering God's eternal kingdom except for you. By your own choice. People often say, well, if God's such a loving God, why does He send people to hell? He doesn't. People send people to hell. Just like guns don't kill people, people kill people. They could use a gun, they could use a knife. Here comes the cop all dressed in blue, he's after me, he's after you. It's a little song from the 60s. He's got a gun, he's got a knife, you better run for your life. I have a great deal. <laughs> it's just one of those old songs. I love the police. I wasn't making fun of the police, it just... The point is, weapons don't kill people, people kill people. And God doesn't pe send people to hell. People send people to hell. You can't send me to hell and I can't send you to hell, although people often suggest that, don't they? Go, go to. <laughs> but they can't send you there. Only you can send you there. By choosing to reject the rejected one. So not only was Christ rejected by his own people, by the nation of Israel, uh, he's rejected everywhere, every day, isn't he? So Jesus is still the rejected one. That's almost like the deplorables, the basket of deplorables. However, a certain presidential candidate pronounced those of us in that basket as irredeemable, I guess she didn't realize that we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. See? I can't help it. I was supposed to be the warm, fuzzy teddy bear today. That wasn't that bad. And by the way, it was the truth. The truth hurts. Okay. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, chosen by God, and precious. Now isn't that interesting? Someone or something could be rejected by a large number of people and yet deemed precious in God's sight. Again, it's sadly many people follow the crowd, they go with the majority. And therefore, if this guy rejects someone or something, and this guy does it or this gal does it, then everybody gets on board and they say, well, gosh, we've got to reject this because the majority have rejected it. And then yet God looks down and he says, my son and my sons and my daughters are precious in my sight. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And so, but the devil is constantly trying to beat us down. Tell us how horrible we are, how bad we are. The problem is he's right. But even though 
That's true. We are sinners. God loves us. He proved it by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And we, as His children, if you have yielded your life to the Lord, if you've confessed your sins before God and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You are precious in His sight. And even in a general sense, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God's love on one level extends to the whole world. But there's a deeper level for those who embrace Him and trust Him and confess Him and become a child of God. Now you become part of His beloved. You see? Because God created us to have an eternal love relationship with Him. Our sin separates us. And yet, in spite of that, he has reached out to the entire human race through his son, Jesus Christ. So this also emphasizes the tremendous sacrifice of the Father in giving the life of his only son for our sins. The Father didn't send down second, third, fourth, fifth best. Now most often when people donate certain items to a charity, whether it's the Goodwill or it's Salvation Army or it's the church. It's usually things that are worn out or broken or no longer are useful. So it doesn't really cost them much, does it? In fact, they're just clearing out some space in their garage or their attic or their house and they're glad to be rid of it. And they get a tax write off for it as well. But a true sacrifice is when you offer up something precious. Remember when God spoke to Abraham and told Abraham he wanted him to take his only son, Isaac, up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Do you remember that? God promised Abraham a son. Abraham and Sarah got impatient. So they they cooked up a little hanky-panky with Hagar. And they had a son, a surrogate, if you will, with Hagar, Ishmael. And Abraham loved Ishmael. Sarah didn't really love Ishmael. It wasn't really a very good idea to send your husband into another woman to have a son for you. Things deteriorated over time. And then ultimately, um, God told Abraham, you've got to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. And then, after Abraham's down to one son, the promised son, then God says, I want you to go up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. What a talk about a test of your faith. And you know what? Many people have faced similar tests when, however you want to phrase it, either God allows it or God causes it, when we lose a loved one, particularly someone very close, husband, wife, son, daughter, immediate family. For some, the pain and grief extends even beyond immediate family. But then people are challenged. Do I still trust God? Do I still believe in God? Do I, do I still have faith in God? And many times, sadly, people turn away. Because God has somehow required that you give up something precious. But you know what? God 
never requires anything of us that he himself has not first sacrificed. There could be no greater sacrifice than the sacrifice of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. Precious. Jesus. Precious to the Father. And so, if he's precious to God the Father, surely we should treasure him as well, shouldn't we? It's sad when people denigrate him, mock him, use his name in vain. It's heartbreaking because he is precious to God and he is precious to man because he is the one and only Savior of the world. Verse 5. First, Peter points out that we're to come to Jesus as to a living stone. And then he tells us in verse 5, you also as living stones. So you and I are chips off the old block. Jesus is the living stone. Perhaps when you first came to Christ, you might have said something like, living stone, I presume. Most of you don't remember. You're too old. I mean, I'm too old. You're not too old. I'm too old. (laughs) Dr. Livingston, the great missionary in Africa, was greeted. What was the guy's name? Henry? Anybody remember the name of the guy that was searching all over Africa for Livingston. This is back in the 1800s. And when he finally found him, Livingston was the only white guy amongst a bunch of native Africans. And as the story goes, he walked up and said, Livingston, I presume. So, but I guess I'm digging too back, far back into history. As the brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it makes perfect sense that we become like Him. He is a living stone. Now, He is the living stone. As we will see later on, He's the cornerstone and so forth. But we now are living stones like Him. Just like Peter. You could say that Peter was pebbles. And Jesus was bam, bam. Matthew sixteen eighteen. Peter makes this powerful confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter says, you're right, Peter. This has not been revealed to you by men, but by God. And then Jesus goes on. He says, I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail Against it. But he's not talking about Peter, although Peter's name does mean rock. We have two kinds of rock here. Peter is Petros, it means a detached stone or boulder. But Jesus, Petra, is a solid or native rock rising up through the earth, a huge mass of rock, such as a projecting cliff. Petra is a projecting rock. Petros, Peter, is a stone, such as a man might throw. So Peter, you are a rock, 
and you have made a very accurate pronouncement of faith, but it's upon this rock, Petra, that I will build my church. And so I love that image of seeing Jesus like this giant rock protruding up out of the earth, emerging like a great cliff. And that's the difference. So we are living stones, like Peter, rocks. Jesus is the rock, the living stone. And Peter says that we are being built up a spiritual house. I love it when I see a stone house. It just turns me on. I don't know about you guys. I think it's so cool when you see a house built completely from stones. Talk about solidarity, huh? Strength. Now, if you've got some rocks, if you've got a few screws loose, no, I didn't. <laughs> if you've got some rocks missing here and there, you might have a problem. But as long as every stone is in place, you've got this strong building. Peter says we're being built up as a spiritual house. So this physical building, as we know, is not the church. We've been blessed to have this place to meet in. But we, collectively, the body of Christ, are that spiritual house. I think that really gives us an indication of how extremely important it is to be actively involved in the local body of believers. Now, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm part of the universal body of Christ, and that's true. How amazing, how awesome, how incredible is it that you and I can be connected to every true believer all over the world. Isn't that neat? But we can't have close, intimate fellowship with every believer all over the world. Therefore, God has established local bodies of believers that can come together and be built into a spiritual house. There's this huge, gigantic one that covers the globe but real spiritual growth, maturity, strength, and even, I think, effectiveness in being able to reach out to the world is a result of having a strong local body of believers that are being built together, built up into a spiritual house. Some people take a very lone wolf, maverick approach to Christianity. Now, no one could argue that Christianity is not a personal relationship. We talk about it all the time. That's the difference between religion and relationship. Religion is man's efforts to reach God, and it tends to be very impersonal. Hence, some groups, you have to go to a priest and confess your sins. He can't do anything about your sins. The only one that can take them away is Jesus. But people in that particular system don't believe they are worthy to approach Jesus, so they go through the priest or maybe through Mary. I hate to tell you, Mary can't do anything about your sins either. Only Jesus. Religion emanates and initiates with man. Relationship emanates and initiates with God. Christianity, true Christianity, 
is God reaching out to man. Religion is man trying to reach out to God and falling short. So those who take this lone wolf approach, again, yes, the very beginning and foundation of a Christian faith, being a true follower of Christ, has to do with approaching Him individually, individually confessing your sins to God and inviting Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you, to wash you, to cleanse you, to fill you with the Holy Spirit. But then having done that, you automatically become a part of the body of Christ. Something bigger than yourself. Created. We just had a wonderful wedding yesterday for Kayla Moss and her fiancé Daniel Scartwed. Two people coming together in holy matrimony. Beautiful thing. And just as they come together, two people coming together in marriage, committing to one another, God has created for our benefit, our blessing, our strengthening, the church. Just as marriage is not... See, a lot of people say, oh, marriage is just a man-made institution. We don't need it anymore. It's outdated. It's irrelevant. So I'm always encouraged when I see young people wanting to make that commitment and take that step and enter into a marriage covenant relationship. And it's still just as valid today as it was when Adam and Eve got married. Marriage is not a man-made institution. It's a God-made institution. And guess what? The same is true of the church. People say, ah, it's just man's thing. No, it's not man's thing. It's God's thing. Like, and like almost all of God's things, man is really good at messing it up. But as, you, as they say, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can't throw marriage out just because some people have trashed it, abused it, so forth. And you can't throw out the church, the organized church, if you will, or in our case, the disorganized church. You can't throw it out just because some churches are really not following God. Some churches aren't even teaching God's Word. Some churches don't even talk about Him. Or they talk about her. Or it. Or whatever. The universalist church of whatever you want to believe. But just because that happens, just because there are cult groups out there, doesn't mean we should throw out the church. God established the church. Therefore, our goal should be to be as much of the kind of church that God wants us to be as we possibly can. Being built up a spiritual house. 1 Corinthians 3.9 See, we are not just individuals in relationship with God. We are part of His church, His body, His family. It takes more than one person to be a family, right? Unless you're schizophrenic, no. I'm not making people have fun with mental disorders. We are God's fellow workers. You... Now, this is plural. This is Paul writing. We, Paul and his associates, the other apostles, the men who worked with Paul in the ministry, we are God's fellow workers. In other words, we're out here serving the body of Christ, teaching the Word, traveling around, planting churches. We're God's fellow workers 
You, Corinthians, plural, are God's field. You are God's building. Why are they His field? Because of the analogy of planting. Planting seeds. Reaping a harvest. If you plant seeds of righteousness, you reap a harvest of righteousness. If you plant good seeds, you get good crops. But then, so he's using dual analogies. The field and the building. You are God's building. And again, to have a a good, strong, functional, useful building, there are many parts, right? We've all seen buildings that have not been completed, have we not? And you're driving down the street and um, it's not that attractive. And it's not useful. It's only attractive and useful if it's been fully constructed. God is about the business of building various local bodies of believers into a beautiful little house that can be a testimony for Him in their neighborhood, in their community, their city, their state, and sometimes even beyond that. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See the corporate element, the corporate dynamic here. It's all plural. You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Again, there is that greater context of the worldwide church. But in order for us to really begin be able to relate and identify and participate, it has to be brought down to the local level. That's why Jesus came, by the way, because before Christ came, God seemed like this faraway, unknowable, unreachable, untouchable entity. But now that Christ has come, born of the Virgin Mary, a man, God, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, now He's approachable, He's reachable, He's accessible. Because he's a man, just like you and us. And I know there's all this gender stuff now, but, you know, he's a human being. But he's still fully God. But it is so much easier now to be able to grasp and understand and comprehend and get in touch with God because his son came. The same thing is true with the body of Christ, the church. We know that those believers are out there all over the world. But what really makes it real to us is being in relationship with other believers. You see, again, we know that God loves us because He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. But the way we experience God's love on a regular basis is when we are loving and being loved by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Get it? That's why Peter said, above all, Love one another fervently, for love covers over a multitude of sins. You show me a believer that goes through life thinking, nobody loves me. I can guarantee you it's because people aren't showing them love. Now, we put up barriers sometimes. It works both ways. We have to make ourselves vulnerable, acceptable, Some people just put up a wall that almost nobody can get through. But at the same time, it's sad because 
so often we view Christianity as just going in and out of church, talking to as few people as possible, keeping our own walls and barriers up, when in fact God wants us to be instruments of His love. And it's not always that complicated. Sometimes it's just as a handshake or a hug or a smile or a few friendly words. Sometimes it's more. Sometimes it's taking a meal to someone or giving them a ride or even helping them with their utility bill or something. There are many ways that we express the love of God to one another. But people who aren't benefiting from that, who are not plugged into a local body of believers and don't experience the love of God in a practical way tend to not be very fulfilled, happy, joyful. And usually, because they're not experiencing that agape love on a practical human level, they pretty much go around thinking God doesn't love them either. You see, when a stone is missing, you have a hole in the wall. It's vitally important to allow God to place you in a church home and stay plugged in. We tend to think, well, that doesn't matter. Nobody will notice. I don't really do anything. I don't make a difference. And a lot of times, sadly, we th- it's all about me, right? What about my needs? But you'd be surprised how many people can be disappointed, discouraged, when they look forward to seeing someone at church. They consider you their friend. They might only see you once a week. I, you know, it's funny... The human body and the human mind is an incredible thing. I don't know about you guys, but I've experienced that I can actually program myself to wake up at a certain time on a certain day. I get up earlier on Sundays than other days of the week, and it just happens. It's weird. I mean, my body's programmed to wake up earlier on Sunday morning. Any of you experience things like that? Or if you go to sleep at night, the last thing before you go to sleep, you tell yourself, now tomorrow I've got to do this, this, and this. And you wake up in the morning and boom, it's popping into your mind. You ever experienced that? And so they might only see you once a week, but believe it or not, they look forward to it. And maybe they might come up to you and ask you to pray for them. Or they might just be hoping hoping you'll give them a smile or a hug or what have you. At any rate, when a stone is missing... You have a hole in the wall. I love C.S. Lewis. You know, there's not a lot of modern Christian literature out there that I'm real fond of. If you want some good, solid Christian literature, go back to guys like C.S. Lewis, Francis Schaeffer, and even back beyond that. C.S. Lewis says, this is a quote, He says, it was one of the Wesleys, I think. John Wesley, Charles Wesley. It was one of the Wesleys, I think, who said that the New Testament knows nothing of solitary religion. We are forbidden to neglect the assembling of ourselves together. Christianity is already institutional in the earliest of its documents. Powerful. I want to read it one more time. C.S. Lewis. It was one of the Wesleys, I think, who said that the New Testament knows nothing of solitary religion. Any of you ever play solitaire? 
That's just one person, right? C.S. Lewis quotes John Wesley, Charles Wesley, saying, The New Testament knows nothing of solitary religion. We are forbidden to neglect the assembling of ourselves together. Christianity is already institutional in the earliest of its documents. In other words, the writings of the New Testament. Hebrews 10.25. I'm going to read it in the New King James, and then I'm going to read it in the NIV. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I want you you notice something? Do you see the day, the big D? That means the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, the rapture of the church, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennial kingdom of Christ. Paul says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. How many of you here today see the day approaching? Hello? This verse was written for us 2,000 years ago. NIV, let us not give up meeting together. There are so many believers out there that have given up meeting together. I've covered some of the reasons here this morning. But the bottom line, there is no good reason. We are commanded by the Lord to gather together. You know, I don't know about you guys, you know, usually when my wife and I go away, it's for a conference or some kind of ministry-related thing. Rarely do we ever just get away to get away. I would like to. Hopefully we will at some time. But no matter where we are or what we're doing, when we're away from you guys, I just don't feel right. You know how when you just don't, you're not really sick, but you just kind of feel like crud? You know what I'm talking about? When I'm not with the body of Christ, I feel like crud. Just saying. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We all know about habits, right? You create a habit by doing something over and over and over again until it just becomes routine, normal, to the point, just like I said a minute ago, when I'm not here, I feel like crud. It becomes a habit to the point that when you're not doing it, you don't feel right. The problem is, you can also create a habit of not going to church, not being plugged in, not being involved. And that's really not good for your spiritual health. And if you notice, it doesn't take very long. Miss one Sunday, that's no big deal. Miss two the habit's already starting. As you miss two, then the third one comes along and it's that much easier to not go again. And before you know it, you're not going at all and you feel like crud all the time. But the problem is, when you always feel like crud, you don't know it anymore. It becomes normal. Do you know what I'm saying? Finally, not finally, but next, a holy priesthood. So Peter's getting real serious here. We're being built into a spiritual house. We are living stones. We are also a holy priesthood. Can you imagine a priest not going to church? Not gathering with the saints. Not studying the word. Not worshiping. And by the way, we're all priests. Under the new covenant in Christ, all believers are part of God's holy priesthood. We call this the priesthood of the believer. Have you ever heard of that? Another reason why this whole idea that we need human mediators to go to God 
is not really biblically accurate. How in the world would you need to go to a priest or some other clerical type person to confess your sins if indeed you are a priest? Hello? We're part of the holy priesthood. The priests, by the way, as you probably know, were the ones who offered up the sacrifices on behalf of the people at the temple. Because we're all priests, we're all called upon to offer up spiritual sacrifices. The priests, under the old covenant, offered up animal sacrifices, bloody, fleshly sacrifices, but Jesus became the ultimate physical sacrifice for our sins, so the sacrifices that we are called upon to offer up as part of the holy priesthood, the priesthood of the believer, are spiritual sacrifices. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips like we did here this morning, worshiping, singing, but it can also be you in, in your own private worship time or prayer time. Praising God with the fruit of your lips, giving thanks to His name, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So what do we know from this verse? The believer's sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices are praise, giving thanks, doing good. So that's a spiritual sacrifice, but it's carried out in a practical way physical way, doing good and sharing, sharing of the resources that God has given you. Romans 12, 1, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So there again, even though it's spiritual, Paul mentions the body. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, as believers, we are an integrated entity. We can have nice thoughts and feelings, but they need to manifest in outward actions, which involves the use of our physical bodies. Living sacrifices. And at the end of the message here in a moment, we'll bring that thought home. These spiritual sacrifices are to be acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of people that do good works, not just Christians. And a lot of people that think they're Christians and do work, good works really aren't because good works cannot save you. Our sacrifices to God are spiritual and they are made acceptable to God only as we approach Him through His one and only Son. They are acceptable to God through Jesus. You can do the greatest, most wonderful things in the world. You can be the world's greatest humanitarian. But if it's not done in the name of Jesus, because of Jesus, for Jesus, it's worthless. Now, human beings may benefit from it. But you're not going to. Because only when it's done in the name of the Lord, for the glory of God, through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's when those spiritual sacrifices, in fact, they can't even be spiritual sacrifices unless they are done 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. See, they're made acceptable to God only as we approach Him through His one and only Son. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Since that is true, Jesus said it, so it's true. You can only get to God through Jesus Christ. There's no way that any sacrifice that you make could be acceptable to Him unless it's done through and in the name of Jesus Christ by someone who's been truly born again. So mankind might benefit from your good works, but it's of no benefit to you unless it's done through Jesus Christ. And really, it's ultimately not beneficial to the other person either because if you are meeting their physical needs, but you're not meeting their spiritual needs, what's more important? If you die in Christ, you're in heaven. If you die with a full belly without Jesus, where are you? I mean, some of us who indulge in guilty pleasures, food-wise, joke around and say, well, at least I will die happy. Like the donut I had this morning. Well, if you're a believer, that's fine, yeah. But if you're not, you could be eating the healthiest food in the world. You could have, you know, the heart. You could be 60, 70 years old, have the heart of a teenager. You know, the lungs of a a triathlon champion. But you're still going to wind up in hell. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Our spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to God only through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.14-16, Paul writes, Seeing that we, then that we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, he came down, he went back, Jesus the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That goes back to what I spoke of earlier. When God became a man, now we can reach out and touch Him and identify with Him and relate to Him. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are all part of the holy priesthood, but Jesus is our high priest. He is the living stone. We are living stones. For Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, as we talk here this morning about spiritual sacrifices, for Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice was to die for us. Right? Guess what? For us, it's to live for Him. To say no to our flesh and give. We saw praise, giving thanks, doing good, and sharing. We're to say no to our flesh and give of our time. How many times have we said, oh, I don't have time for prayer, I don't have time for Bible study, don't have time to go to church, whatever. Don't have time to call that person up and see how they're doing. Don't have time to give them a ride to church. Don't have time to go out to lunch. It goes on and on and on, right? We don't have the time. But this is one of the elements that encompasses or involves 
our sacrifice, our spiritual sacrifices manifested in a very practical way, our time, our energy, the expenditure of energy, when we have something we really, really want to do and really love to do, we find the time and we find the energy, right? Guys, how many times have you told your wife, you're too tired to mow the lawn, but you found the energy to go ride your bicycle, your motorcycle, play golf, what am I, go fishing, right? You find the time and you find the energy if it's something you really, really want to do. So if we really want to follow God, be obedient to God, we will find the time, we'll find the energy, and there's one more element, and that is money. Boy, my wife nails me with that one all the time. Guys, you tell your wife, honey, we just can't afford that. But then, it's something you wanted. All of a sudden, you can afford it, right? Oh, boy. We're getting ready to drive four hours to Texas to pick up our grandson. I'm sure I'm going to get a full recap of this message. So, that's why James said, Be ye not many teachers. Because your wife is going to hold you accountable. That's not in the Bible. I added that part. Time, energy, and money in service to Him and our fellow man. This is all part of our spiritual sacrifices. Praise, giving thanks, doing good, sharing, giving of our time, our energy, and our money in service to Him and our fellow man. Our spiritual sacrifices, as you can see, often manifest in the physical things we do because we live in a physical world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time together today. This powerful passage of Scripture. Help us to take it to heart. Meditate upon it. Digest it. Put it into practice in our lives. Lord, we want to become better at being living stones. Being available that you might use us to build your spiritual house. Lord, that we might be available to be part of your holy priesthood, the priesthood of the believer. That we might be available to offer up those spiritual sacrifices that are only acceptable through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, this passage challenges us today. But we really do want to be obedient to you. We want to grow. We want to mature. We want to be more effective as believers in this world. But Lord, we know that our first priority, as Paul wrote in the book of Galatians, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Lord, if we can't love one another and serve one another, how can we ever have a true witness to the world. Lord, help us to love one another, serve one another, and in so doing, present an example to non-believers that will cause them to want to come and be a part of our family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.